Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. All right. As you know, we are going through a study on cults and world religions, and basically what we are doing is just an overview. So I think it's probably important for me to say I'm not an expert on this, all right? I'm not, I don't know everything there is to know. There's going to be questions that you have, quite honestly, that I don't know the answer to, and so just lay that out there. But what, I, what we're trying to do, two things, is learn a little bit more about some of these other cults and world religions, but then probably even more importantly than that is to become more grounded in what we believe, so as we see what these other groups are believing, to be able to then compare that to what we believe the Bible teaches, it's going to help us become more grounded. Now, tonight the topic is Islam. I have a translation of the Quran, if anyone would like to look through it later. Uh, if you just walked in today and you saw this laying on the front pew, you're probably like, Why is, what is this? Why is this here? I, I brought it in in case anyone would like to look at it. Um, just, you may find it interesting, but let's jump right in. All right, introduction to Islam. Several just interesting facts, okay, just to kind of give you some basic information. Here's A. First thing, Islam was founded in Saudi Arabia. All right, Islam was founded in Saudi Arabia. B, Islam is the second largest religion in the world, 1.2 billion adherents. 1.2 billion, not million, billion. So again, is this some minor belief system over here? No, this is a huge, one of the oldest belief systems, one of the major world religions. Does anybody know what city in the United States has the highest concentration um, who adhere to Islam? Nope. Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. Um, Detroit is second. Detroit is second. I don't know about the rest, but those are the two. Washington, D.C. and Detroit, Michigan are the two cities that have the highest concentration of adherence to Islam. C, Muslims make up the dominant population in 36 countries. So what that means is there's 36 countries around the world where if you were to step into their culture, step into their country, walk into their borders, that you're immediately in an area where the vast majority of the population of that country are adherents of Islam. 36 countries where Islam makes up the dominant population. D, all right, let me give you D. The, world, the word Allah in Arabic is a, is a word that tr is translated as God. All right, so here's why this is not meaning to be controversial, but we need to talk about this for a second. So if you are a missionary and you walk into a Muslim country and they ask you, do you worship Allah? How do you answer that? Understanding that the word Allah is simply a translation, an Arabic translation of the word God. So they're asking you, do you worship God? Do you worship Allah? In their language, they say, do you worship Allah? How do you answer that? Do you worship God? Well, so if you walk into Mexico and they ask, do you worship Dios? Do you? 
C, good answer. Very well, very well put. So if the answer to that in Mexico is yes, and Dios is the Spanish translation of God, Allah is the Arabic translation of God. Do you see the challenge? So some people, when you're a missionary, and I, and I have a good mi- a friend right now who is a missionary. I have several, actually. They're are missionaries in Muslim areas. One of the challenges they have is if you go up to someone and you are trying to talk to them about God, the translation for God is Allah. So you automatically, in simply talking about God, you're talking about Allah. So what do you have to do as a missionary in one of these countries? Say so what? Explain who God is. See, the term is not enough. So even, let's go back to Mexico for a second. Even in Mexico, when you go in and you're talking about God in the Mexican culture, you still have to define your terms. You cannot assume that simply because you mention the word God that everyone's going to be talking about the same thing. I mean, this is the same thing in church planning. You go to Mount Pleasant, you go anywhere in Charleston, you mention the word God, you cannot assume that they understand what you're talking about or that they are thinking the same thing you're thinking. You may be thinking one thing about when you say the word God, they may be thinking something else when they say the word God. So sometimes, the reason I wanted to pause here just for a second is if you go into an area and you hear someone say the word Allah, that is no guarantee that they are an adherent to Islam. Does that make sense? Because if you are living in in an Arabic culture And let's say you are a Catholic in an Arabic culture and you say the word Allah. You're not talking about the God of Islam. You're talking about God and that's just the translation of the word God. So you see where the challenges come in. Does that make sense? All right. E. Islam is a word meaning self-surrender to Allah as revealed through Muhammad. So we've gone through Hinduism, we've gone through Buddhism, and quite honestly, Islam is easier to study than Hinduism and Buddhism because there are a lot more similarities in the belief system, all right? There, there, there are a lot more things that are the same in, in, in that we believe in a God, they believe in a God. You go to Hinduism and Buddhism, it's very confusing what they believe about um, there being a divine being. But in, in Islam, it's very, very similar to Christianity in that they believe that a, in a divine God, all right? But the, the meaning... Islam is a word that means self-surrender. We're going to talk about more about that here in a minute. F, Islam is often classified, along with Judaism and Christianity, as one of, one of the three Abrahamic faiths. All right? What do we mean when we say one of the three Abrahamic faiths? Say what? Descending from Abraham. All right? So here's a question for you. All right, not trying to be controversial. Do you worship the God of Abraham? If you go to someone who's an adherent of Islam and you ask them, do you worship the God of Abraham? What are they going to say? Yes. Oh, we worship the same God. You worship the God of Abraham, we worship the God of Abraham. We're the same. Right? Good job. Got that one right. All right? But when we say one of the three Abrahamic faiths, What do we mean by that? Well, you have Christianity, you have Judaism, you have Islam, who all can be traced back in their minds to Abraham. But what is crucial is that their view of Abraham is radically different from that of the Christian. Let me give you two ways it's different. Here's the first one. They view Abraham as the prototypical Muslim prophet. 
So when they say, yes, our faith can be traced back to Abraham, you probably need to ask, well, who do you think Abraham was? And their answer is going to be, well, he is the model Muslim prophet. Here's the second way it's different. Number two, they believe that it is in the Quran where one can find the religion of Abraham. So they say, yes, our religion can be traced back to Abraham, and Abraham is the prototypical Muslim prophet, and the way that you learn about the religion of Abraham is through the Quran. Where would we say you go to learn? Good. I was really hoping y'all would get that one right. Um, exactly. Big difference. All right, G. The two main denominations of Islam are Sunni and Shiite. You probably heard these terms on the news, Sunni and Shiite. Let me give you a couple facts about this. Number one, about 90% of the world's Muslims are Sunnis. All right, about 90% of the world's Muslims are Sunnis. Number two, Islamic violence flows from the Shiite denomination. All right, now this, is going to, this leads to H, which is an important term or important point. Most Muslims do not support terrorism. All right, now we're going to get into in another week the, the Quran and the teachings of the Quran, and we'll dive into this a little bit more. Um, but Howard, you spent quite a bit of time, um, and you have experience talking with them, and we've talked a lot about this, and this is the reality. Sometimes when you just listen to the news, you, you don't get the whole picture. Y'all are shocked by that, I know. It's like, what? Um, but understand that most, most Muslims do not support terrorism. I, women are treated differently in various countries. And what I'm talking about is Muslim countries. Women are treated differently depending upon um, the, how, how radical they are, how closely they adhere to the... Even under, is, under the umbrella of Islam, you have um, conservative and liberal under every belief system, you have conservative and you have liberal, all right? Under the umbrella of Islam, you have conservative and you have liberal. So there's certain countries, while they may have the title of adhering to Islam, they may not be as conservative or as tra tra traditionally Islamic as some of the other countries are. And so that's why even in the past couple of weeks, one country voted to allow women to start driving. In other countries, that happened a long time ago. So depending on where you are in the world, depending on what Islamic country you are in, women are going to be treated differently. My sister recently was in Turkey um, on a mission trip. Her and her husband and actually a group from their church was in Turkey. How would you like to go to Turkey? No? Oh, let's do it. Um, do you, you, you want to go? He's having a baby. He can't go. She's having a baby. We're good. Um, but they went on the, one of the biggest festivals in, on, in, in the Muslim calendar. They went to the, one of the top or the largest mosque in all of Turkey. And they stood there, and she had to have the head covering on and everything, and they stood there, and all they were doing is just watching all of the people come in at the hour of prayer during this holy day of Islam, and hundreds, she said they were in the courtyard of the mosque, and the people started coming in and laying down their mats and getting on their knees and getting ready to pray, and they said they got so many people that they did not want to be the only people in there who weren't bowing down and praying, so they, they left back out into the city square, but they stood there and watched hundreds of people come in to this, into this one area. What do you think when you hear that? All right. 
The what? Dedicated. What else? It's heartbreaking. And that was the takeaway for my sister and her husband on this mission trip is you have all of these people, 1.2 billion people who need Jesus, who need Jesus. And that should be the reminder. Some people look at a trip like that and they say, no, it's dangerous. And there probably was some danger. My sister has bright, she was here a uh, couple months ago. She had bright red hair. So, I mean, she would stand out. Um, Some people look at that and say, no, it's dangerous. But their whole perspective is completely changed because of going and seeing the need that exists. Sometimes we can live in our bubble, in in the Bible Belt, and we fail to understand that there's a world that needs Jesus. Um, And sometimes it's good to step out of our comfort zones and have that need exposed to us. All right? So how does Islam add or take away from the Bible? Let me give you two things here. Here's A. The Islamic view of the Bible is based on the belief that the Torah, Psalms, and Gospels were revelation from Allah that became corrupted. So because they are considered an Abrahamic faith, and they would acknowledge Abraham and say that they worship the God of Abraham, they value the Torah. What what is the Torah? There you go, first five books. They value the Psalms. They value even, even the Gospels to a certain extent. But what they would say is they become corrupted, so you can't trust what the Bible says, so you better just read the Quran. Here's the second thing, B. They would say that the Quran is the perfect word of Allah. What does Allah mean again? So they would say the Quran is the perfect word of God. All right, so remember, all cults do three things. They add or take away from the Bible, they multiply the requirements for salvation, and they take away from the fact that Jesus is God. So when you come to Islam, the way that they do that is that they will acknowledge the value of, of the Bible, especially the Torah, and that's their main focus is on those first five books of the Bible. Why? Because that talks a lot about Abraham and the faith of Abraham and the movement and the history of Abraham. What they say is it's been corrupted, and if you really want to know the true word of God, then you have to follow and read the Quran. All right, number three, how does Islam multiply the requirements for salvation? Here's what they will say. A, humans are basically good but need guidance. Humans are basically good but need guidance. What does the Bible teach about this? What? The opposite. Explain what the opposite is. Could you all hear him? He didn't yell. He basically said, our hearts are desperately wicked. We are, I forgot the rest of what you said. We're dead, dead in our trespasses and sin, and we need salvation. So you go on one hand, basically good, need guidance. Does the Bible teach that we are basically good and need guidance? No, the Bible teaches that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We do not need a change of direction. We do not need guidance as much as we need new life. That's why even in the verses that Craig read this morning, if any man is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Everything has become new. All right? B, they would also say that good deeds or bad deeds determine your eternal destiny. So if someone tells you that, you know, your good deeds or your bad deeds is going to determine your eternal destiny, how do you respond? Say what? How much is enough? You're scared? Why, why are you scared? Not sure you've done enough? Basically, picture a scale. Every good deed goes on one side, every bad deed goes on the other side. 
and you're hoping at the end of your life that the scale tips in your direction to where you have enough good so that you can have the eternal destiny that you want and not the one that you don't want. So again, let me ask you, what does the Bible teach about this? Okay, listen, we, we, this is like foundational. I saw a hand back here. Yeah. Our righteousness is filthy rags. So even our good deeds are what? Bad, filthy. Isaiah says that our righteousness, the best that we have to offer is nothing but filthy rags. Romans chapter 3, one of the most foundational passages of Scripture dealing with the reality of our sinfulness, says there is none that seek after God. There's none that does good. There's none who pursues him. There's none righteous, not even one. All right, so again, you have on this one hand that this teaching of Islam that says basically good, need guidance, your good deeds your, or your bad deeds are going to determine your eternal destiny. We compare that with what Scripture says. All of our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. We have no hope whatsoever. We need a Savior. That's the only hope that we have. All right, number four. How does Islam take away from the fact that Jesus was God? A, Muslims believe that Jesus was a Muslim prophet and that he was not the son of God. So if you go up to a Muslim and say, do you believe in Jesus? What are they going to say? Yes. Good. Have a great day. Right? Or no? See, even in, again, talking about missions and church planning here locally, it is not enough to go up to someone and say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? What, what could that answer mean? He said, yes, he believes in Jesus. What all could that mean? That he exists? That as we saw in some of the other religions, that, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He was a great teacher. He was a great moral man. It is not simply enough to ask someone, do you believe in Jesus? What does the Bible say about the demon's belief? They believe and tremble, fear. All right? So simply a head knowledge is not enough. Now, let me get a little personal here for a second. It is possible to go to church in a Baptist church every single Sunday and know about Jesus and still not have a relationship with him. Right? It is possible to be able to know all the answers to all the questions and not have a relationship. You may even believe and tremble. So, what's the answer? You can answer. Personal relationship. So, is, is it about religion? There are a lot of religious people in the world. It's not about religion. Is it about head knowledge? No. Head knowledge may be good. So, what is it about? It's about heart transformation. It's about having a personal relationship that transforms you, all right? Um, B, they would say Jesus was never crucified, neither did he die. They would say he basically was caught up, um, is basically how they would answer. If he didn't die, what happened? They would say he was caught up, all right? Let me give you a few other um, Islamic beliefs and practices, and then we'll uh, be done and then we're going to, again, next week, we're going to dive into Islam a little bit more, but from the angle of looking at the Quran. So I know this is a little shorter tonight, but we're going to spend kind of two weeks on this. So A, 
The religious, the religious duties of Muslims are known as the five pillars. All right, you have the five pillars of Islam. You may have heard of the five pillars. You say, what are they? Here's the first one, shahada. I practiced that all week. <laughs> shahada, all right? This is the declaration that there is no God except Allah, and Muhammad is Allah's messenger or his prophet. So when you're talking about the five pillars of Islam, the first one that you're going to hear about most often is shahada. The second is salat. This is a ritual prayer five times a day facing Mecca. You say, when are those five times? You see them on your outline. Upon rising at noon, after mid-afternoon, after sunset, and before retiring. So whenever you see pictures on movies or TV shows of people getting out their mat and laying it down and getting on it, this is what they're doing. All right, this is one of the five pillars of Islam, getting down and facing Mecca, and praying five times a day. And if you go to Muslim-controlled countries, there are actually bells that ring that are reminders to pray. Um, but if anyone is a serious adherent of Islam, this is something they are committed to, and they'll stop what they're doing, and they will do this. Third is zakat, and this is charity for the poor at 2.5% of capital assets. Come on. Very specific, it is. But it is adhered to strictly. All right. Four, Sawam. This is fasting from dawn to sunset during the month of Ramadan. Anybody know when the month of Ramadan is? It changes. Good answer. Um, last year, or this coming year, it is, I think, from June 15th to, to July 14th. Is that right? Um, and so it's not always, it doesn't align with one of our calendar months, and it changes from year to year somewhat, but this next year, um, it is mid-June to mid-July, and this is a serious time for, for Muslims. This is their, 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 I guess their peak religious month of the year, and so they fast from dawn to sunset. What do they do after sunset? Say what? They because Howard, where were you when you kind of lived in, in the middle of this? All right, so they had a contract with Saudi Arabian Airlines to teach their mechanics, and what? And when we were talking about this, he said they would they would fast from sundown from sunrise to sundown, but after sundown, man, everybody got together and they. So they would fast from sun, sunrise to sundown, then they would eat from sundown to sunrise. Interesting. If you want to know more about his experiences, um, he has some interesting stories. I, I enjoyed talking about that. The fifth one is a pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in a lifetime, if able. So they make concessions for people who are unable to. But if you're able, one of the things that you need to do during your lifetime, is you, if you're to hear of Islam, is to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. Um, B, Sharia. Have you heard of Sharia, Sharia law? Sharia is the moral code and religious law of Islam. Most Muslim countries adopt only a few aspects of what we know as the Sharia law. 
Um, very few countries actually implement all of the Sharia law strictly 100%, but most of the Muslims of those 36 Muslim-controlled countries, there's some aspects of Sharia law in their country and in how they operate um, legally and politically, all right? C, they do not believe in eternal heaven, excuse me, they do believe in an eternal heaven and hell, but it's far different than what we believe the Bible teaches, um, some of the things that they believe about heaven and some of the things that they believe are some of the benefits of heaven are far different than what we would believe about the reality of heaven. For us, what is the glory of heaven? And let me go ahead and answer, right, it's Jesus. It's not the streets of gold. It's not all these other things that there's a lot of songs written about. As great as those other things will be, the glory of heaven is Christ. The joy of heaven is Jesus. The reason we should look forward to heaven is because of the opportunity to see him face to face and worship him face to face. That's the, that's the benefit. That's the glory. That's the beauty of heaven. All right, D, they would say that Satan is the devil who tempts Muslims to disobey the teachings of the Quran. So do they believe in Satan? All right, so let me ask you a question. Do Muslims believe in God? Do they believe in Jesus? Do, are they religious? Do they believe in Satan? Do they believe in heaven and hell? Do you see why we have to define terms? Now, we're, when we get into Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and Christian science and Scientology, it's going to become even more crucial that we define our terms. But what I want you to begin to understand is even in conversations that you have with your neighbors, you cannot just say, do you believe in God, Jesus, heaven, and hell? And if they answer all those yes, walk away saying they're good. You have to have a conversation with them about what these things mean, which means evangelism in our day and time is far less confrontational as it is relational. Because you can go up to someone, sorry, Kenny, you're on the second row. You can go up to someone and ask him all of those questions and confront him and get these answers, but it takes a relationship to begin to understand what he means by those answers. And you cannot begin to answer his answers, so to speak, and give him more biblical information until you know what he's talking about and what he means. So it is not enough, and again, I'm not saying it's wrong just to go up to someone and ask them questions. I think that God gives opportunities for that, but that is the big starting point. That is not the ending point. So you ask someone, do you believe in God, Jesus, heaven, and hell? Do you believe these things? And they're going to answer, a lot of them are going to answer yes, and when they do, you say, great, I do. Let's talk about what we mean by that. And that opens the door to a relationship, to a conversation. Um, if you are, well, never mind. So what? That's frustrating when I do that. Uh, here's another challenge we have. What I have found with Baptists, and I've been in Baptist churches all my life, is that we are far more willing to send money to reach people overseas than we are to have a conversation with our neighbor. And that is somewhat hypocritical. Right? I mean, if we're just being real, it's easy to put some money in the offering plate and say, you know what, I hope the people in China meet Jesus. And we're willing to do that, but one of the challenges is many times we're not willing to talk to the people across the street from us. We have to say, if this faith is real to us, then I want the people in China to know about it, but I also want my next-door neighbor to know about it. And I don't have to give money for God to send somebody over to my next-door neighbor because he's placed me here. Do you remember what Craig said this morning? Were you all paying attention? Do you remember what he said this morning? That the thing that changed his whole mentality about missions and evangelism was when he understood that he did not pick his neighbors, God picked his neighbors for him. 
which meant God had placed them in his life for a very specific reason. That is true for each and every one of you here this evening as well. Um, last two things. E, Muslims are not allowed to eat pork or drink alcohol. And again, that's a blanket statement, and depending on if it is a strict adherent to Islam or a more moderate adherent, this does not apply to everyone 100%. And then F, they have 99 different names for God, each address different aspects of his being. So do we have different names for God? Yeah, absolutely. You can go through the Old Testament, and what, what are some of the names for God? Jehovah, Yahweh, Adonai, Jehovah Jireh, El Shaddai. We could go through this whole long list. So that, that's, not, that's not a criticism, that's just a reality. So sometimes they'll have different names that refer to God. So here's the takeaway this evening. Each week I try to have one main thing to walk away from, all right, to take away from this. Here's what I want you to understand this evening. Simply using the same terminology is no guarantee that we believe the same thing. It is possible to use the exact same terminology and mean two different, completely different things by it. Here's the other thing that it, it highlights, I think is that as we are living out our faith, as we were challenged this morning, as it's Adam challenged last week, as we're living out our faith in everyday life, we have to be willing to have more than a conversation. We have to be willing to have a relationship with those people, with our neighbors. You know, used to growing up, and I grew up in Chattanooga, just south of where you were in Nashville. It was called the Bible Belt. And growing up, we typically culture shared a very similar worldview to where you could go up and you could knock on someone's door and you could say, do you believe in God? And 98% of the people are going to say yes. Do you value the Bible? 98% of people are going to say yes. Do you believe Jesus existed? 98% of people are going to say yes. And so you had this common starting ground. Guess what? Culture has shifted. Now when you go up and you talk to someone, there's no guarantee that they believe in God. And if they say they believe in God, you don't know what they mean by it. And if you ask someone, do you value the Bible, a lot of people now are going to say no, and the ones who say yes, you don't know what they mean by it. And if you say, do you believe that Jesus existed, a lot of people are going to say no, and if they say yes, you don't know what they mean by it, which means that we no longer share this same common worldview or this foundation on which to evangelize. It requires a relationship. So here's the question I want to close with. When is the last time you had a meaningful conversation with your neighbor? All right, that's the question. You don't have to answer. That's the question. When is the last time you had a meaningful conversation with your neighbor? And on that note, we're going to close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, again, we love you. We thank you for our time together this evening, the opportunity to study and learn about different religions around the world. But at the same time, God, we're challenged. God, we need you to work through us so that we can reach the mission field in which you have placed us, our neighborhoods and our places of employment. So God, one, I pray that you would help us to know what we believe, study what we believe, be bold in talking with other people, bold in building relationships with other people. Help us not to be the, the people who are eager to send money to missions overseas, but unwilling to talk to the people you very clearly placed in our lives. God, I pray that you would help all of us to take a step in the right direction this week in building relationships with our neighbors. 
God, it would be wonderful if in several weeks we start hearing testimonies of people in our church having neighbors over and having conversations with neighbors and seeing you work through us to impact the people you've placed in our lives. God, it's not just about going to Saudi Arabia or going to China, God. For us, while that's certainly a focus and certainly something that we want to be committed to doing, God, for many of us, the challenge is more about going to the place across the street going to the house next to us. So I pray you'd help us to, to really understand what um, Spurgeon said, that every Christian is a missionary. Help us to live that out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, before we go, let me challenge you. Get by, talk with Aaron. If you have any questions for him, what he's doing at City Life, he'll be more than happy to answer those. Um, but be sure to let him know you appreciate him being here. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.